Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, all right. Good morning, One Life Church. It is so good to see you at church today. Are you guys excited to be here today? If you are, can I hear a good amen? Awesome. Hey, before we jump in, everybody at the Nambic Civic Center, do me a favor. Throw your hands together and welcome our online church family who's joining us right now online. Yeah. We love you. We thank you. We're so excited to have you along for the journey today. If you need something, we're here for you. Email us. Click the buttons to let us know how we can serve you. Many of you who've been joining us online have been sending us prayer requests throughout the week, and I just want to say thank you for that. We've been praying for you. We've been praying the promises of God over your life because why? You are our family, and we're here for you, so we love you so much, online church family. All right, for those who are here in the room today, very excited to make a couple announcements. Number one is small groups. Everybody say Small groups. My friends, if you did not notice all the balloons and the tables as you walked into the lobby this morning, we are launching our fall semester of small groups, and we could not be more excited. We've got over 21 different opportunities for you to connect in life-giving community. Why do we do small groups? Is it because we just wanted to make you so busy throughout the week that you just needed one more thing to commit to? No, not at all. But we all have time for life change. We all have time for experiencing God's best, and God's design for His best in our lives is not only Jesus Christ, but it's life-giving relationships. And I'm telling you, small groups aren't something that we just do here at One Life. It is who we are. And I want to encourage you, if you're doing life alone, isolated, it is time, my friend, to take a next step and to get committed and get connected to some life-giving community. Notice I didn't say perfect community because, my friends, there is no such thing. If you could ever find me a perfect community, will you let me know because I would love to sign up. It just doesn't exist this side of heaven, everybody. All right, that glorious day is coming, coming soon. That's called heaven with Jesus. But for right now, we are some imperfect people with a lot of issues, but we, whether our issues or not, we love God and we love you. And we want to do our best to just following God's example of trying to create moments and opportunities to connect. Because I'm telling you, man, when life hits the fan, you need somebody in your corner who can pray with you and who can stand with you and may not have all the answers, but say, Hey, I am here for you. And that's what small groups give you the opportunity to do. So today, as you exit the service, I want to do everything I can to encourage you to connect with some of the people that you see at the tables. Now, can I tell you, one of the reasons we do that is not only to display to you so many options, but it's also the opportunity so you can see the face behind the name of the small group. Because I know if you're like me, you're like, I want to know, are they weird or not? You know what I'm saying? And so no offense, okay, it's taken. We get that. We understand that. And all our small group leaders get that as well. But I'm here to tell you that none of our small group leaders are weird. They are life-giving. They are normal people, whatever normal is, I'm just saying, okay? But we are just here to have a good time, not take life too seriously, but just do the best we can to create some moments where you got some family to do life with. And for those whose lives have been changed through small groups, can I hear a good amen from you this morning, everybody? And so really excited about that. So how do you access that? If you're not in the room, you can go to olc.church and you can click on the button that says online directory or the picture that says small groups. And that will show you all of the opportunities that are available for you today. All right, one more thing I want to tell you, everybody, guess what next Sunday is? Y'all, it is our three-year anniversary, our three-year celebration. Come on. 
And for those of you who, who may be new, we planted our church on September the 16th of 2018 uh, with a dream, really honestly, just to love God and to love you. And it's just been a miracle story so far. You'll hear more about that next Sunday. But we're going to be celebrating a lot of fun things are going to be happening. Uh, so you do not want to miss that service because we're going to have some stuff we're going to be giving away after the service. And not only that, but you guys are going to be celebrating life change. We're going to be celebrating with water baptism next Sunday. And so I want to encourage you, man, if, if you've just recently committed your life to Christ, or maybe you committed your life to Christ a long time ago, but you just want to follow the Lord's example in water baptism, can I encourage you to go online, click the button that says water baptism and register for that event. Now, do you have to register? No, but it helps us know how much we can prepare for you. So whether you register or not, you will still have that opportunity. It's going to take place after the second service, which is the 11 a.m. service, which is the one if you're in the room today you're attending. It's going to happen immediately following that service, and we want to encourage you to do that. So what is water baptism? Well, the best way that I can explain it is that it is basically the wedding band of Christianity. So every single one of us who are married in the room, if you look down at your hand, you hopefully you're probably wearing your ring. If you forgot to put it on this morning when you left the house, I'm sorry, right? But I've done that once in my life. It's never going to happen again, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> So what does this represent? It represents the fact that my life is taken. It is a public demonstration of my love and commitment to my wife, who's the most beautiful woman in the world. Sorry, fellas, she's already taken. She's on the front row. Her name is Linda. She's mine. And so what is water baptism? It's like the wedding band. It says, hey, I'm making a public demonstration of my faith, and I'm saying to the world that my life is taken to who? To Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And even if you're not going to be in the water baptism and, and taking part in that, at least come and celebrate for those who are making that decision. All right, you guys. Well, we are in part three of our series. It is written, and I cannot wait to jump into the message today. It's going to be probably the most practical message that I've brought in a long time, but I believe it's probably the one, one of the most pastoral messages that I can bring you. But before I get into it, can I just remind every single one of us that we are a note-taking church, which means we love to take notes here. And so we have message notes online. If you're in the room, you go to olc.church, swipe down, click a button that says, message notes. If you're online today, uh, you'll see the notes under the screen, or you can click the button that says sermon notes and follow along with us. All right. I want to close this message as fast as I can today so I can give you more opportunity to be with your family out in the foyer or the lobby after we close. But I want to start with this verse here, jumping straight into it. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 through 17. Scripture teaches us, it says all scripture, everybody say all. All scripture is what? It's God-breathed, and it is useful. In other words, the Bible just wasn't intended to be some kumbaya religious experience that you just come once on a Sunday or every other Sunday or so just to check a box and to say, I've done my religious duty. No, 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 no. It is useful. It's useful every day in your life, in your marriage, in your home. It's useful in your family, in your finances. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? You ready for it? So that the servant of God, who's that? That's you. That's me. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so my hope today as your pastor, my hope today as your friend is to prepare you for every good work. And in fact, I've been trying to take you on a journey for the past month and a half. In the month of August, I took you through a journey of prayer. Why? Because prayer is how we connect to God. And I wanted to do everything I could to teach you how to have a conversation with God. But you can't just only want to connect to God. Guess what? God wants to connect with you. So how does he do it? God connects with us through his word. 
And so I don't want you to just read God's word. I, I want you to love it, man. I want you to be passionate about it. Man, I want you to consume it. I want it to be just all-encompassing in every area of your life. I want you to learn it. I want you to live it. Why? Because the word of God has the power to transform your life, your home, your marriage. It's God's word. And so today, I'm going to do the best that I can to teach you why the Bible can be trusted. Why the Bible can be trusted. Why do I want to do that? Because listen, the truth is, guys, we live in a culture who says that the Bible can't be trusted. We live in a culture who's bought into the lie that says the Bible is inaccurate. The Bible is inerrant. Uh, we live in a culture today that, that is basically coming at you from all points and quote unquote knowledge and saying it's archaic, it's outdated, and it's not for today. And I'm telling you, we're going to confront that in the name of Jesus today. And I'm going to tell you that that is a lie sown by the enemy and we're going to find some freedom today. And my hope is today when you walk out of this, you'll feel a little bit more equipped to be able to live this thing out in your culture and have a few answers. And so I just want you to understand Matthew 24, 35 says this. Here's the truth. Heaven and earth will pass away. In other words, the world and all its quote-unquote knowledge, man, that stuff's going to pass away. But Jesus said, here's what won't pass away. You ready? My words, my words will never pass away. And my friends, that is the truth. And today I'm going to show you why. So how am I going to do it? Just a fancy word called apologetics. Anybody want to try to say that with me? Apologetics. Apologetics, right? So what's apologetics? Apologetics is basically the discipline of defending the truth of God's word. Now, I want you to understand something today. Today is like an elementary introduction into apologetics, okay? Number one is that I'm not a professional apologist, okay? But uh, I have leaned on people that I've trusted and, and other pastors and people maybe that you've heard of uh, who are incredible, some of the best apologists in our generation today. One of those being Pastor Rick Warren, who pastors a church in, called Saddleback Church. Anybody ever heard of that little church, right? purpose-driven life. Uh, yeah, I'm giving some props to Pastor Rick Warren because a lot of the outline I'm giving you today actually comes from his teaching and his research, along with another gentleman by the name of Josh McDowell. If you've never heard of Josh McDowell, you can go to his website, josh.org. He is one of the best apologists in our generation. And so if maybe this kind of whets your appetite a little bit and kind of want to know more about... <clears throat> How can we kind of take these steps and step out and defend the gospel and defend the truth of God's word in a culture that's denying it left and right? Go to josh.org or go to Pastor Rick Warren's website, type in apologetics, and you will get tons and tons of resources. And in fact, I would encourage our small group leaders, if you haven't already got a curriculum or something that you want to do, maybe you can add some of that into your teaching. And I'm telling you, it is life changing. So today, I'm not an apologist. I will not even claim to be one, but I'm going to do the best that I can to basically give you this elementary teaching of seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. Seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. So if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to join with me. Write this down. Number one, the first reason why the Bible can be trusted is that it is historically accurate. Historically accurate. In other words, the Bible isn't just a book of some good stories about a good man or some good people. It's not a bunch of metaphors or made up things to try to create some imagery for you to believe in a good belief system. My friends, no, the Bible is historically accurate. And look at this. The Bible says in Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is right and the word of the Lord is true. 
So great, Rhett, how do we know that? Like, how do we know it's historically true? How do we know that it's right? How do we know it's true? Well, if you ask any historian, basically they would tell you for something to be historically accurate, it has to go through three separate tests. And these aren't Christian tests. These are worldly historian tests, all right? And the Bible has gone through all three of these. And the first test that any historian would tell you for it to be accurate, number one, has to have eyewitness accounts. It has to have eyewitnesses accounts. In other words, it can't be hearsay or made up stories that you've seen on Facebook or Instagram. Come on, somebody, right? No, it can't be made up stories. No, it's gotta be real, it's gotta be factual. In fact, most of all the scriptures are indeed written by people who had eyewitness accounts of everything that was happening before in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all personal, intimate, I heard Jesus, I saw Jesus, I did life with Jesus, and like I experienced these things. These were their accounts of Jesus Christ. And I'll need you to understand something, that when the Bible was written, these four men didn't get together, sit around a table and collaborate and go, hey, I'm thinking about putting this in chapter eight. What are you doing in chapter eight? How about this or that? No, they didn't do that. They didn't collaborate at all, but yet, yet they all align perfectly and they're 100% accurate and they tell the same story with absolutely zero, no contradiction. Why is that? Well, it's because they were there. They saw it, they heard it, they experienced it, and say they, they wrote it through the inspiration of God. They had eyewitness accounts, my friends. So the Bible is proven historically because of that. Number two, when you prove something historically, it goes through a second test, and that is historians would tell you it needs to be recorded and copied with extreme care. It needs to be recorded and it needs to be copied with extreme care. And by the way, this is just my opinion, but I believe this is why God entrusted the Bible to the Jewish nation. Why? Because the Jewish people are some of the most meticulous people on the planet, and it is a gift from God. In fact, the Jewish scribes, actually, when they would transcribe things, their standard for recording was like none other that the world has ever seen. In fact, when they transcribed the Bible, check this out, they didn't transcribe the Bible word for word. They transcribed the Bible letter for letter. In fact, when it came to the first five books of the Bible, call it the Pentateuch, it's the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you get it, right? The first five books, when they would transcribe that, they would do it letter by letter, and they knew the exact number or the exact letter that was in the middle of all five books. And check this out, when they were done transcribing, they went to the middle letter, and they counted outward, both directions, and they wanted to get the same number because if the number at the end of it didn't match up to what was written and what their transcription was, guess what? They painstakingly threw all their transcript, all their work away, and they started over again. My friends, the Bible was recorded. It was copied with extreme care. In fact, the Dead the Dead the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1940s. What were the, what were the Dead Sea Scrolls? In the Dead Sea Scrolls, what happened is that there was actually a documentation, an actual copy. It's the oldest copy. You can read about this in history books. I'm not making this stuff, stuff up. It is the oldest copy that we have of the Old Testament transcripts. It's over 2,000 years old. It is the latest copy we have. And when they took that copy and they compared it to the other old 
four copies that they had that had been tra- uh, transcribed by Jewish scribes. It matched to the T, letter by letter. Every I was dotted, every T was crossed, and nothing was changed. And I'm telling you, because of the extreme care that it was recorded and copied with, this whole myth that the Bible has changed over time because it had several different writers over and over, and then it got watered down, then it got changed, is a myth and a lie. My friends, the Bible is historically accurate. It's historically accurate. Here's the third test that it would go through. Not only does it need eyewitnesses, not only does it need to be recorded and copied with care, third test is that archaeological confirmations are extremely important when it comes to determining whether or not it's historically accurate. And even today, you can look at the studies. Even today, there are archaeological digs that are happening over in the places where the Bible existed that they're still finding artifacts in things that prove the case of the Bible. In fact, one of the greatest finds happened in the early 1900s by a guy by the name of Hugo Winkler. Not Henry Winkler, everybody. Hugo (laughs) Winkler. He's a German archaeologist. And he discovered an empire called the Hittite Empire. Now, let me tell you, this is located over in modern-day Turkey. You're wondering, how in the world could we find something in the early 1900s, like an entire city? Yeah, it happened. Now, here's the significance of why this proves just another point that the Bible is real, it's living, it's active, it's God's Word, and it is accurate. It's because the Bible mentions the Hittites about 3500 B.C. Now, it mentions it in the Bible, but here's the thing. Up until the early 19th century, there was no historical proof that this city or this empire even existed. It was just in the Bible about the Hittites. And you can read it from like 3,500 BC all the way to about 1,000 to 1,500 BC, the Hittites existed, but no one could prove their existence. And so even some incredible theologians believe, well, you know, we can't really prove that. So we either just got to take it at its word or we got to think maybe it was just made up. And the truth is it wasn't made up because the excavators found in early 1900, this is like over just 100 years ago, they found not only a city, but they found over 10,000 clay tablets with extreme documentation in detail that it was the Hittites that were mentioned in the Bible 3,500 years before Christ. I'm telling you, history has validated not only the existence of the Hittites, but it validates the Bible through and through. And this is just one existence. Is this helping anybody this morning at all? I'm just tr- this is very practical. I'm just trying to empower you and teach you why the Bible can be trusted. So number two, not only is it historically accurate, but the Bible is scientifically accurate. It is scientifically accurate. Now I need you to understand something. Now the Bible isn't written in a science language. Thank God for that. Amen. But just because it wasn't written in a science language, I need you to understand something. Everything quote unquote science is discovering right now. Like it's, they're discovering it. Why? Because God created it. This is why. Let me show you this verse, and then I'll go into some detail. Psalm 148, 5 through 6. Let every created things. Now, time out. What's it talking about? Created things. Talking about heaven. Talking about the earth. Talking about everything under the earth. And everything in between. Let all created things give praise to who? To God. Why? For he issued his command. In other words, he set it into motion. And they... They, now time out, who's they? Again, that's the heavens, that's the earth, that's you, that's me. They is the law of physics. They is the law of biology. They is the law of chemistry. They is the law of of astrology or astronomy, I should say, and biology. They all came into being. 
How? Because he, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, set them in place and they're going to be here forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. In other words, the truth will remain and the truth will never change. But guess what does change? Science changes. The ideas of knowledge change, but God's word will never change. And if you don't believe me, why don't you just go back a few years and pull out your third grade science book, my friends. I'm telling you, they're not using it anymore. Why? Because science and the knowledge of, of, of science has changed. Guys, we were using Commodore 64s when I was in elementary school. Can I tell you we are not using those anymore? Praise be to God. Why? Because science and technology has changed over time. But God's word will never change. One of the things that was believed even back when the Bible was being written was that the earth was flat. That the earth was flat. Now, of course, astronomers, mathematicians, people who are a lot smarter than us, like NASA, right? The government, satellites, right? We, we all kind of know now that the earth isn't flat, but here's the truth. We didn't need them to know that the earth wasn't flat. Why? Because over 2,600 years ago, God told us through Isaiah, look at this, Isaiah 40, 22, God sits enthroned above the what? The circle of the earth. That word circle comes from a Hebrew word where we get the word sphere or globe, everybody. The Bible has proven that the earth wasn't flat and the earth was round 2,600 years ago, everybody. Come on, man. This is good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Rhett. Another belief that happened when the Bible was written, look at this, is that the earth has to be held up. Like people, act, scientists of that day actually believed that somebody was under the earth holding it up. And in fact, as smart as the Greeks were, you get this? The Greeks thought that there was a God named Atlas who stood under the earth and held up the earth like this. Have you ever seen that picture of a man holding the world like this in the whole universe? They called that the God Atlas. That's how they thought the earth was being held up. The Hindus believed, Check this out. The Hindus believed at one time that the earth sat upon four elephants. And those elephants stood upon a sea turtle. And that sea turtle stood upon a serpent that swam throughout the sea. All right? And so even the Egyptians, as smart as they were, the masterminds of engineering, I love this. They believed and they thought it was true by all their science proven fact in their day. They thought the earth stood on five different pillars. But the oldest book of the Bible, my friends, written over 3,000 years ago, Job 26, 7. This is what God spoke to Job. He said, he spreads out the northern skies, God, over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. How in the world did Job know that? Hmm. That's a good question. Could it be? Could it possibly be that God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke to Job and Job just wrote down what he heard and believed? Maybe. Selah. Take that in. Take that in. Think about that. How about this one? When the Bible was being written, people actually thought the number of the stars could actually be counted. They thought they could be counted. In fact, in 150 BC, a guy by the name of Hipparchus was a Greek astronomer, and he was known as a genius. Hipparchus sat down one day and thought, well, I'm going to count the stars because I can. And there are 850 so he was like, there are 850 science, scientific facts, it's proven, 850 stars. Well, then 300 years later, a guy by the name of Ptolemy, another astronomer, genius in his own right, counted 1,022 stars. 
Well, in my mind, if they would have just read the Bible, they could have saved themselves a lot of heartache and a lot of time and realized Jeremiah 33, 22 says, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Guys, we know this now. Why? Because satellites and technology have shown shown us just in the Milky Way galaxy alone. You ready for this? 100 billion stars in one galaxy. But you guess what? They have up to this point discovered over 100 billion galaxies. And on top of that, they're talking now, I read an article that with science technology as it's improving, even the telescopes are getting more powerful. They're discovering galaxy after galaxy and they believe in the next three years they'll discover another 100 galaxies being 200 billion galaxies with 100 billion galaxies or so of stars in each galaxy. So you do the math. You cannot count the stars. And we should know this. Why? Because God's word has been telling this all along. The Bible doesn't teach us in science language. He teaches us in God language, but he's still teaching us that it's scientifically accurate. Well, let's move over into medical science for a minute. Medical science was a guy by the name of Hippocrates who taught this idea or this uh, idea of what he called humor or humoralism. Humoralism has nothing to do with laughing, by the way. And so it's all medicine. And they honestly believe, these scientists honestly believe that there was uh, four different things in every human and all these four, if they were in alignment, then you would have good health and good emotions. But if any of these four were out of alignment, then it would mess with your health and your emotions. Guess what the four were? They were black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. That's a very nice way of saying some other things that I'm going to keep it PG in this room, okay? All right. And so they actually believe things like this. Take a look at this. They actually thought at one time that too much blood in your system could make you sick. Think about that for a minute. And so what they would actually do is they were like, oh man, you're sick. So you got too much blood in your system. So what we need to do is we need to cut you open. And we need to kind of like slaughter you like a little bit and let all this blood drain out. Now I know this is disgusting, but this was the belief in that time. And they thought, well, we got to get the the bad blood out. But of course, now we know, right? No, no, blood's not bad. Blood is good. In fact, now we have transfusions. Why? Because if you get sick, you need some healthy blood, right? And so I'm just telling you, the Bible has taught us this. If they would have back in the day, just have read Leviticus 17, 11, they would have seen God teaching us that the life of the body is in its blood. We need it. Please don't cut me up and mutilate me and let me bleed to death, okay? That makes no sense. No, the life of the body is in its blood. Here's the bottom line, Psalm 12, 6. Look at this. And the words of the Lord are flawless. They're flawless. They're perfect. They're like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. And if you believe that, my friends, it will change your life. It will change your life. Here's the third reason the Bible can be trusted. Y'all enjoying this this morning? I know it's a little bit different. Third reason it can be trusted is that it is prophetically accurate. The Bible is prophetically accurate. There are more than 1,817 prophecies that were given by different people over an expanse of 1,100 years. Now check this out. In the Old Testament alone, before Christ, there were 300 prophecies. In fact, over 300 prophecies that were all about Jesus Christ. And the last prophecy that was about Jesus was given 400 years before Jesus even showed up on the scene. Now, I need you to understand something about these prophecies. They weren't like, oh, yeah, the Messiah, he's going to be a good person, man. He's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. No, they were actually extremely detailed to the fact that they prophesied the exact location of where the Messiah would be born, where the Messiah would live, 
how the Messiah would ride in on a triumphal, triumphal entry on a donkey. Talked about how he would die and be risen again. I'm telling you, my friends, the Bible is accurate. Listen, David prophesied in Psalm 22. It's not on the screen, but you can go extra note, take a write it down. David, who was known after a man after God's own heart, he used to be a shepherd. God anointed him king. He became one of the greatest king, but he was also a songwriter. And one of the songs that he was inspired, he wrote. And in the psalm, and in the psalm, 2,000 years before Jesus, Okay, in the song, in the psalm, he details out the crucifixion scene to the T. Talking about how his hands and his feet would be pierced for our iniquities and our transgressions. And here's, the, here's, here's what blows my mind. How in the world would David have seen a crucifixion scene? Because that's not even the way they were killing people in that day. Crucifixion wasn't even invented until the Romans, which were a couple hundred years before Jesus showed up on the scene. So 2,000 years like how, like how, how does that happen? Well, could it be, could it be that God used man through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to hold the pen, but God spoke the words through him? Amen. I'm saying, yes, it's exactly what happened. It's prophetically accurate. In fact, I'll go a step further to show you this. There's a guy by the name of Peter Stoner. Come on, you know you got a good name when your last name was Stoner. <laughs> probably was, no, I'm just kidding. No, probably... He was a probability expert in the 1950s, and he wrote a book called Science Speaks. Science Speaks. And in fact, he got together with over 600 different probability experts. And this is what they concluded, okay? You ready for this? They concluded that one person trying to fulfill just eight prophecies. Now, Jesus fulfilled over 300. But if one person try to line up and just try in their own strength to fulfill eight of those prophecies in their life, here's what the probability would be. It would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Y'all, that is 100 quintillion. How many of y'all would like to have that number in your bank account like right now? 100 quintillion is the chances of one person fulfilling eight. So let me bring that kind of down into some imagery for you. Maybe you've heard it said like this before. That would be like taking 100 quintillion silver dollars and putting them in the great state of Texas. Come on, where are my Texans at in the house? Amen. I married one. She's on the front row, everybody. I've got to support it. Everything's bigger and better in Texas. At least that's what they say. <laughs> Just kidding, babe. I love you. Texas gave, yeah, Texas gave me my son and gave me my wife. So y'all, I got to give props, okay? It's so... But if you took 100 quintillion silver coins and you placed them in the entire state of Texas, my friends, the coins would be two feet deep. I don't know if you've ever driven through Texas, but it literally takes 15 to 16 hours to drop from the west side to the east side. And I've done it before. It is miserable. Okay. There ain't a tree in sight. It's none of a desert for the most part. And so anyway, so you put the 100 quintillion coins, right? Or, and then you, you put them up. They're two feet deep in the state of Texas. And then say you blindfolded somebody. Or in fact, say that you marked one of the coins red. And you kind of chucked. I said chucked. That's right. I used to say chunk because I'm from the South. We chunk things in the South. We chuck things in Idaho. And if you were to chuck one of these silver coins somewhere into the mix of the entire state, and marked it red, 
blindfolded somebody, and the person who was blindfolded put them in a helicopter, fly that helicopter over the state of Texas. Now, again, they can't see. But he said, all right, now we're over there. We're over the uh, state of Texas. Where do you want to stop and try to find this red coin? Uh, here? Okay, cool. So they land. The guy gets out, puts his hand in, blindfolded, pulls out one red coin. What are the chances that that could happen? One in 10 to the 17th, 100 quintillion. If just eight prophecies, just eight, Jesus fulfilled 300. Y'all, I'm telling you, the Bible is prophetically accurate. It's prophetically accurate. It's impossible, right? It's impossible. Well, perhaps, look at 2 Peter 1.21. Perhaps, maybe, just maybe, prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets through humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said, hey, you can trust these prophets. Look at Matthew 26, 56. Jesus says, hey, guys, all of this is happening. All of it's happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the, he's saying Old Testament at this point, because up to this point, the New Testament didn't exist, as recorded in the scriptures. And by the way, there are a few more prophecies that have been yet to be fulfilled. And uh, I'm just here to tell you, they're going to happen. In fact, the world is setting up a system right now to usher in the end of some of these prophecies. And if you haven't read the book of Revelation lately, I would encourage you to read it. Well, I'm a little afraid to read the book of Revelation. I'm kind of scared of all that stuff. Well, let me just tell you, the book of Revelation does not exist to scare you or to put the fear of God in you. The book of Revelation should be an encouragement. It should bring joy. It should bring life. It should be joyful. Why? Because it's pointing to the return of our Savior. It's pointing to the return of the Son of God. It's pointing to the last prophecies being fulfilled, which is Jesus Christ in all his glory coming out and taking us home and out of this world. Come on, somebody. That's a great place to shout hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. This is good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Rhett. Amen. Jesus is coming back, everybody. Jesus is coming back, everybody. The remaining prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled are going to be fulfilled through Christ. It's going to happen. Last chapter of Revelation 22, verse 6. uh, It says, the angel said to me, and this is John, who uh, received a vision through Jesus Christ of the end times. And he said, these words, what are words? The Bible and the prophecies, they're trustworthy. These prophecies are trustworthy. And these prophecies are true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent me as angel to show you, the servants, the things that must soon take place. My friends, what God has planned from the beginning of time through prophecy will come to pass. Well, I don't know about all that, Pastor Red. I mean, I mean, I, I kind of with you on all the probability and the experts, but I'm just saying that guy got lucky. He won the lottery. Like this is coincidence, all right? All of this just kind of somewhat happens to line up. I don't think any of this is true. Well, my friends, if that is you, you have more faith than me. Why? Because it takes more faith to believe the prophecies of the Bible are coincidence Put this on the screen so everybody can see this quote. It takes more faith to believe the prophecies of the Bible are coincidence than to believe that God actually planned them. Selah. I hope this is helping somebody this morning. I really do. I'm trying to inspire you and to encourage you and to bring you back to the truth that God's word is validated. It is accurate, my friends. It is the truth and it can be trusted. 
trying to teach you this. It's historically accurate. It's scientifically accurate. It's uh, prophetically accurate. And here's number four. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's thematically unified. It's thematically unified. And of course you're thinking, well, of course it would be unified. I mean, if it was written by one person, but here's the thing. I taught you this last week. The Bible wasn't taught by just one person. It was written by 40 different people who lived in different time frames from 1600 years or so apart. They never met. And they, some of these people lived on three different continents <laughs> and they had no collaboration, but yet they all tell the same story of the same person. Now, how in the world, how, like, how is that even possible? Well, could it be, could it be that God spoke through man through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? God held the pen, but yet God spoke the words and man just obeyed and wrote what was entrusted to him. Jesus said in Luke 24, 27, from the beginning with Moses, look at this. What's he talking about? The beginning of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament from the first Five books of Moses and all the prophets. In other words, the rest of the Bible. Jesus explained to them what was said in all of these scriptures that were what? That were concerning who? Who was the story about? It was about Jesus concerning himself. He's saying, hey, guys, the Bible is thematically unified and it all tells the same story. Every book, every scripture tells the same story of who? Of me. There's a great resource. I would encourage you to get it. Uh, it's called, oh, man, what's the, it's written by Henrietta Mears. And I've just had a blank on the title. It's not in my notes. Uh, but it's oh, what the Bible is all about. What the Bible is all about. And it's kind of like the cliff note version of every book in the Bible. And so if you like cliff notes, come on, somebody. Where are you at? That got me through high school. Thank you, Jesus. Right? If you like cliff notes, and I use this tool a lot, like it's, it's incredible. But what I love more than anything about it is that in the beginning of each of the books, when it says, hey, this is the book of... In the, right around the beginning of that, it says, and this is where you can find Jesus in this book. Yes. Because remember last week I said, hey, when you read the Bible, you read it to find Jesus, right? right? If it's thematically unified in every book, you want to kind of know where does it talk about Jesus? Well, Henrietta Mears, Henrietta Mears put together a book uh, to show you all of that. And she was actually an intercessor for Dr. Billy Graham. And so amazing, amazing woman. So it's not only historically accurate. It's not only scientifically accurate, it's prophetically accurate. Its theme is unified. Here's number five in that it is trusted by Jesus. It's trusted by Jesus. Well, many people say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't really love like all the other stuff that I don't quite understand or don't even like. Like I trust Jesus. I just don't trust the word. I don't trust the Bible. I trust Jesus. And my friend, if that's you, I just want you to know that you cannot trust Jesus without trusting all of the Bible. Why? Because Jesus trusted the Bible. If Jesus trusted the Bible and you trust in Jesus, then you've got to trust the things that Jesus trusted. Do I need to say that again? <laughs> Matthew 5, 18. For truly, I tell you, Jesus says, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest letter, not even the thing that I disagree with, not even the thing that doesn't fit into my culture or my cultural theology. Not even the smallest letter, not even the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until Everything, all of it, the entire Bible is accomplished. My friends, Jesus trusted every I, every T. He trusted all of it. He trusted the Bible. Well, Pastor Red, I mean, come on, man. This thing is archaic. It's outdated. I mean, it was written in a completely different culture. And I mean, come on, we live in a different time. There are some things that were meant for then that aren't meant for now. And I don't know if I can believe the things I don't, that I don't like. 
Well, friends, I'm not trying to be rude, and I'm really honestly not trying to step on toes. You know, I love to be life-giving. But if that's you today, I kind of said it this way. Listen, if you believe what you like in the Bible, but you don't believe what you don't like, show them this on the screen, please, when you get a moment. I want everybody to see this. Like, if you believe what you like in the Bible, but you don't believe what you don't like, my friends, it's not the Bible that you really trust. You trust yourself. Sure is quiet in this church. In other words, it's for me and my house. I'm not trusting in me. I'm trusting in God's word. Why? Because the last I checked, God's word is perfect. It's flawless. It's accurate. It's holy. It's wonderful. And guess what? I looked around and I looked at my own life and my own life is not holy. It's not pure. It's not flawless. It's not accurate. Y'all don't say amen too loud, okay? I got issues. We're all working through it, right? But I am not going to put God's word through the filter of my life. I'm going to put my life through the filter of God's word. And I would encourage you to do the same. It's time that we not make God's word fit to my life and my nature and the culture that we live in. But it's time that we align our life to God's word in his character, his nature, in his culture that is found from cover to cover throughout scripture. I'm going to trust it. Why? Because Jesus trusted it. And I just want to encourage you to do the same today. Number six, why can the Bible be trusted? Because it has survived all attacks. It survived every single attack. Have you ever wondered why in the world that the Bible is attacked? Like, why is it that out of all the other religions, the world could care less about all the other ones, but they're only concerned about one, which is God's word, and one name that is above every name that they cannot stand to hear, and that is the name of Jesus. Why is that? Have you ever wondered that? Why? Well, could it be that there's an enemy that's trying to keep you from the very thing that could save your life, your family, your home, your marriage, and your eternity? Could it be? Yes, the word of God is true. My friends, you need to understand that the Bible is the most, it is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. And despite all of hell's best efforts, come on, the word of God remains true. It is still alive, it's living, it's active. It will never fail you, my friends. God's word still endures. 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord. Come on, everybody, say this out loud in yellow. The word of the Lord endures forever. Come on, if you believe that, throw your hands together and give God some praise today. The word of the Lord endures forever. This is good news, everybody. His word can be trusted. His word can be trusted. It was one person, this is kind of, it blows my mind. There's one person who did not believe this, and he actually made a pretty big, big deal about it. Um, There's a guy by the name of Voltaire. He was a French philosopher, I believe, in the 1700s. And uh, his name was like Jean-Claude, blah, 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 Voltaire, right? And so nobody could pronounce all the others, so they just called the brother Voltaire, right? And so you know you're cool when you just got one word name, Voltaire. And so he was a genius in his own mind and in the, in the world's eyes. Um, He made this statement. Look at his statement. He said, within 100 years of my life, the Bible will be a forgotten book. This was written in 1700s. (laughs) Brother, the only thing that will ever be forgotten is that quote. Come on. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Y'all, God's got a sense of humor because 100 years after Voltaire's death, you ready for this? His home was turned into the French Bible Society. I'm not making this up. 
And the French Bible Society in Voltaire's old home used his old printing press to print Bibles and distribute them all throughout France. Can you, come on, get you some of that. Oh man, God's got a sense of humor. So here's the question I want to basically leave you today with, and that is what, for you, what is going to be the final authority in your life? Is it going to be man's opinions? Is it going to be the culture of this world that has not a clue, but yet they think they know everything? Or is it going to be something that can actually be trusted and has been trusted throughout time, and that is so historically, scientifically, prophetically, I mean, it blows my mind. And this is just the beginning. There are so many, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different things like this that I could show you. So what's going to be the final authority? Hearsay, your opinion, I don't know if I like that. Or what's your final authority? And notice I said authority. What's your final authority? Is it going to be the word of God? Or is it going to be the world? My hope and my encouragement, my friends, is that the final authority that you choose, that my hope is that you build your life upon God's word. My hope is that you'll welcome it into your life, that you'll love it, and you'll have a passion for it, and you'll begin to see Jesus in everything that you read, and your eyes will begin to open, and your relationship with God will begin to grow, and you'll begin to be empowered and equipped, and, and you'll, you'll be able to live without fear and without worry in a culture of just compromise and a culture that is so fearful and worried right now, but yet your life can be built on a rock that will remain and that will never fail you and that will give you peace that this world cannot provide. In the midst of the storm, it can be the anchor that holds you steady in life. My hope is that you'll have a new and fresh understanding and revelation of my goodness. This is the very breath of God. This is God's word. It is alive, it's real. And even though I don't understand everything, I trust it. It has the final authority in my life. Because the seventh reason that I'm gonna give you of why the Bible can be trusted is one that you can experience. Because my friends, if you will go all in with God's word, here's what will happen. It will transform your life. Because number seven, write this down as we close, the power of God's word has transforming power. It's a miracle that would take place in your life. Can't explain it unless you take the step and apply it to your life. It will change your life. Look at John 8, 31, 32, and I'll close. Jesus said, guys, if you'll hold to my teaching, like if you'll love it, if you'll make God's word a part of every part of your life, if you'll have a passion for it, even when you don't understand it, but yet, God, I don't get it, but like I just, I welcome it in my life and I trust you with it. I just wanna make it a part of my life, my home, my marriage, my family, my finances, my job, everything, God, I'm gonna hold tight to it. Jesus said, if you will hold to my teaching, then you really are in relationship with me. Like it's so much more than just going to church and fulfilling a religious duty and checking a box every once in three months. No, 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 you'll be in relationship relationship with me, Jesus says. And here's the beauty about that relationship is that you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It'll heal your marriage. It'll heal your emotions. It'll heal your relationships. My friend, God's word will set you free in your life. The power of God's word will transform everything. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. I want to pray for you. God, I just, I thank you for in this moment you're here. And I just thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is true. God, your word is perfect. Your word is flawless, God. And we open our hearts today to simply receive 
and to welcome your word with an open heart today into our life. Help us love it. Help us learn this. Help us live this thing out. May it just not be something we do on a Sunday, but may it be something that we just, every time we open it, we look to find you and that you would show yourself to us and our relationship would grow and that our, that our lives would begin to be transformed by your love and your life and your hope and your peace. God, we make room in our hearts today for your word. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there are some of you in this room today, you feel distant from God, and God is here with his arms wide open telling you he loves you. He's not mad at you. The reason you feel distant is because of one word. It's called sin. And by the way, every single one of us, including myself, have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard in this life. Sin separates. Separates us from what? From the holiness that is God. Holiness and unholiness cannot be together. So God said this, I'm going to make a plan because I don't want to be separated from you. And I don't want you to feel separated from me. And my plan is my son. I'm going to give you my best through Jesus Christ. I'm going to offer him as a sacrifice to pay for your sin so that the bridge of separation could be destroyed and that you could come together and have a relationship with God Almighty. It can only happen through Christ. If you want to experience the truth and you want the truth to set you free, it comes by one way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. Not religion, not going to church, not doing good things, but by simply receiving a gift that's been given. It's the beauty of salvation. It's a miracle. And it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer today. Say, God, forgive me of my sins. I don't want there to be any separation anymore. I want to come into a relationship with you. Some of you have prayed that prayer before and you've walked away from God and you feel like your relationship's distant. Some of you, for the very first time, you've never, if you're honest, you're like, I've never given my heart to Christ. I've never put my trust in him. But today is the day that that changes. Today is the day you experience hope. Today is the day you experience life. Today is the day, my friend, where you can experience freedom. And it comes through one name. His name is Jesus. And it'd be my honor to introduce you to him today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you be so bold to say, Pastor Rhett, you're talking to me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to repent of my sins and I want to come into a relationship with God. If that's you, come on, be so bold. Raise your hand all across this room, all across this room. Come on, don't leave here today without making that decision. God bless you, sir. God bless you, young lady. You want to say, man, I want a relationship with God. I want my sins wiped away as far as the East is from the West. I want to know that when I die, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I will have eternity with Jesus Christ and glorious eternity. God bless you, you can put your hands down. It's not about the words, but it's about a simple prayer or a heart that just means it and says, God, I need you. So would everybody pray something as simple as this under your breath, just say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. I believe in Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe he died to pay for my sin. And I believe he died to restore me back to a relationship with you so that I would no longer feel any distance, but I would feel the closeness and the proximity of a relationship with you. So today, I ask you, God, to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Change me. Come live on the inside of me. I tell him this, God, I give you my life. I give you everything because you gave me your all. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.
Amen. Hey, we had some people make decisions for Jesus today. Can you throw your hands together, everybody? Celebrate. Let them know how much you love them. Come on.